And, you know, I'm not far from transition at this point. So this is lined with people. And he's like, just wait here. Another official is going to come and get you. And they're going to bring you back to the athlete's lounge. And at that point, I'm just like overcome with emotion, you know, just like, whoo, like, I can't believe that this is happening here. Like, why? Of all places, I've never been lapped in my whole career. And it's happening on the biggest stage in the world when you want to represent your country, like, as best as you can. And, um, yeah, at that point, I just kind of put my head in my hands and I'm just like, I can't really help it. I just start crying. I'm, you know, the tears are just like, and I just sit, kind of sit down against the barrier and I just am like, oh my gosh. And there's so much disappointment, but also kind of just a little bit embarrassed um, to just really not show your best self. And um, so, so far below my expectations. And at the same time, there's, you know, just in that moment, the entire crowd, like the whole, everybody that's lining the fence starts to applaud. And they just are clapping and they're cheering for me. And they're like, you know what? Like you're on the other side of the fence. That was Claire Michelle, and you are listening to episode 116 of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jess, your host. I am head yogi here at Yogi Triathlete, and our head coach, BJ, is my co-host for this show. I am the author of the Yogi Triathlete Cookbook and the High Vibe Pie e-cookbook that just became available for pre-order this week. I am also co-founder of the M21 Revolution. My partner there is Golden Duffy, and we combine her deep wisdom of universal law and quantum physics with my background in yogic philosophy and endurance sports for the ultimate experience mindset training. We tackle very common and deeply flawed belief systems on the spot, and we support our members with daily postings, live videos, and techniques that can be immediately applied to life. We've seen our members, and Golden and I are included in this, make profound shifts in their lives. We began in November of 2017 on the inspiration of a young man who was losing his battle with drugs. We had no agenda of what this was going to be, but we knew that we had to put it out there in the world, and we haven't stopped yet. Just last week, we launched our 10th consecutive challenge. This community is growing and becoming more powerful every month. If you are someone who is looking to surround yourself with powerful creators, if you are ready to move out of the belief that some days are good and some days are bad, if you are worried about money, if you are ready to take your sport to the next level, if you are in a job that you don't love, if you are struggling in a relationship or you just know that there is a better way to live, then join us. There is a link to get more info and sign up in the show notes for this episode at yogitriathlete.com. Check it out and get ready for the ride of your life. Talking about mindset is the perfect segue for our guest today. Claire Michelle is a professional triathlete racing at the top level of the International Triathlon Union. She is an Olympian the daughter of an Olympian, and someone who naturally sits in the moment of her life because she knows that her dreams of the future depend on the work she puts in today. 
Claire has been an athlete her entire life, from soccer to tennis, gymnastics to Irish dance. This girl was meant to move. Following in her mom's footsteps, she pursued swimming alongside YTP guest Eric Lagerstrom throughout high school. And he was the teammate who dropped the triathlon bug in her ear years before she entered multisport. I mean, she was also a talented runner at the time, so why not add in the bike? But it was not the time for Claire. She had other dreams to chase first. Shooting for the London Olympics, she specialized in the steeplechase only to incur injury that ended her track career, but not her dream to compete on the world stage. This is where triathlon re-entered her life, and this time she hopped on the bike only to find that it was the combination of sports that was her niche. This girl is hungry, she is relentless, and she is no stranger to failure. She has an inner strength that allows her to pick herself up and move forward no matter what. After a heavy year of growth in 2016 following the Rio Olympics and the WTS Grand Final in Cozumel, Claire was on her knees. The only place for her to go was up. She was in full surrender mode, which, as we say in the mindset training world, is an amazing place to be. She was led to her now coach, Paulo Souza, and the triathlon squad. If you follow ITU racing, then you know that this squad is kicking some serious butt. Just listen into our convos with Taylor Spivey, Eric Lagerstrom, Paula Finlay, and Matt McElroy for insight into the greatness that exists on this team. And Claire is no exception to this excellence. She has her sights set on Tokyo 2020, and there's no doubt in my mind she's going to make it and crush her Olympic dream in the best way possible. Patience, perseverance, owning your choices, failure, nutrition, bravery, surrender, adaptation, and the choice to get up and move forward every day. We cover it all in this chat. So without another moment, it is my great honor to turn over to you our convo with one of my favorite ladies in triathlon and Clark's new best friend, a woman who will no doubt catch every dream that comes into her heart, Claire Michelle. All right, cool. So we are fed. We just had, we've got Claire Michelle here. Hello, everyone. Do people, do, do they, because I was like, is, is Michelle it, her last name? Is it Michelle or, or is, it, is it Claire? Do they do that? <laughs> Everybody says, uh, can I have your last name, please? And I say Michelle. And they go, no, I'd like your last name, please. I'm like, yep, you just got it. <laughs> so they're like, so it's Claire Michelle Michelle? Yeah. And there was, you know, I think my first boyfriend in high school, his name was Mike Eddie. And they were like, oh, the couple with two first names. <laughs> that stage. And it was like, all right, there it is. <laughs> So we had to feed you before we podcasted with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so just so people know what Pro Triathlete ate tonight at the podcast studio, we had from the farmer's market green beans, squash, zucchini, and sweet peppers. And then we did black beans with turmeric, cumin, some chili powder, and apple cider vinegar, which we got from the Happy Vegan MD, gave us that tip when we had dinner at their house prior to podcasting with them. And then we did some big, huge boatload of brown rice and some of our favorite cauliflower-based um, skinny dips dip, right? Mm. And avocado. And it was delicious. Because we live in the avocado capital <laughs> of the world. Thank you very much. But yeah, so now you're fed and none of us are going to fall asleep. Nope. We're fired up. We've got high-vibe food in us. So what were you guys just talking about before I came out you were talking about your we're doing your, the hill talking about the hills well your transition <laughs> your transition to yeah. the the triathlon squad 
Mm-hmm. So you had come off of um, real. Let's just, you know what? Let's just dive right into the dark moments. <laughs> That's what we do here. See, because <laughs> everything at the end is light. It's brightness. Exactly. Actually, Claire, let's start at the bottom and work our way right. up. Yeah. Claire was just wa- walking into our bathroom, and I said, "Oh, the the lights are to the left of the sink. You got to walk through the darkness, and then you'll get to the light." And she was like, "Yeah, isn't that always the case?" <laughs> So let's just go. Let's just go to the darkness. So you came off of Rio, not having, not having, having a very humbling experience. Yeah. Uh, so I started triathlon when I was about twenty-four, and um, it was a little bit by accident. And it was mostly I just joined a local club to have fun and to stay fit. And at that point, I was working full time for the American Chamber of Commerce in Belgium. And um, yeah, th- this club had introduced me to triathlon and I was like, I'm just here to kind of swim and run. And they were like, well, we'll just lend you a bike. So I did my first triathlon and, uh, you know, on this borrowed bike. And didn't you have, what did we hear that you had like a flowered, like <laughs> wetsuit or yeah, something? I mean, it was just like a surf <laughs> wetsuit with like, you know, I, I mean, I, I sat down in transition. I put on my shorts, I put on, a, you know, a top and. I I put on socks, you know, it's like just really for fun. Um, And, uh, you know, after a couple local triathlons, though, um, a a coach there had kind of identified me as potential talent. And he said um, he knew I had a background in, in track and field, well, in running. And so he said, are you interested in doing this as an elite? And I said... Uh, well, let me think about it for a little bit because I just had this job, um, you know, working full time and I, and I quite enjoyed it. And I had been an elite athlete before and I said, but I also had this Olympic dream that I've had since I was pretty young. So that was kind of, you know, what was itching in the back of my head. And I had failed as a swimmer trying to get to the Olympics and I had failed as a runner trying to get to the Olympics. And so I said, you know, I came back to him two weeks later and I said, okay, we're going to go for this, but then we're going to go for Rio in four years. So fast forward four years. Basically, the qualification was very, very difficult, and I kind of slid in. I was one of the last people to get to qualify. And, um, you know, so then we fast forward, and I'm on the start line in Copacabana Beach, and there are 55 of some of the world's best that are on the start line. And, um, you know, they have that ominous boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. What is that called? Music. <laughs> Stress. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But they do this heartbeat like right before the start, you know? And, right. Um, we've, heard, we've heard the heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're in it and you're standing, like, what's that like? So you get into the Olympic, like, so here you are. You've had this Olympic dream since you're a child. Yeah. And you're standing on the starting line and it's doing the boom, boom. Yeah. Boom, boom. Like, do you remember that moment? What was that like? Um, I do. I, you know, I. I remember that moment and thinking like, this is it, you know, like this is, this is your, this is your, your time to shine, you know, and um, the gun goes off and, you know, we're all running down Copacabana Beach. We jump into the water and like 100, 150 meters into the swim, I'm like, breathe to my right and I kind of see a group of girls over there and I breathe to my left and I kind of see a group of girls over there and I breathe forward and I see the buoy and I'm like... I am kind of swimming by myself here. And the mistake I made there was not to commit either to go left or right to get into a group. And I kind of kept heading towards the buoy thinking like, oh, they'll, they'll, 
they'll come into me. But that's not how it works. It's much faster, um, you know, for people who, who don't. Drafting also exists in swimming to a certain degree, not as much as on the bike. But being in a group is always faster. And since I'm a little bit of a weaker swimmer, yeah, that was very important. And that was a crucial moment that I kind of missed. But I ended up coming out of the water like almost two minutes behind the leaders and it was a very like or a minute 50 or something i'm not even sure to be honest i haven't seen the race yet so <laughs> is that on purpose uh yeah maybe yeah, yeah. yeah i mean I, I wouldn't think it was a little bit yeah <laughs> something that you would be like because yeah. i because I, I have hey, it's on you youtube wanna... I, i've seen it like a few times you have <laughs> have you yeah yeah. Oh, the oh the Olympic, Olympic race, race. Right. right? Yeah, okay. There's right. not like a spotlight about no, Claire. No, no, Claire. no, no. This no. is the spotlight no. on Claire. We're getting the inside details now. But people. I mean, it's like you're you come out of the. I mean, obviously, I'm swimming by myself, and I'm just like getting around to this fir- first buoy, and I'm like, I just got to make the best of this situation, you know. And each buoy, I'm like, you just got to keep going. You got. <laughs> but I. And although I'm not, you know, I've never really been, or at least up to that point, had not been really a first pack swimmer, but I was normally a chase pack swimmer. And so this was a really outside of the norm. It was with not even within two standard deviations kind of a swim. And, um, you know, get out on the bike. And there was, I think, one or two other athletes that didn't have very good swims either. So it was like just a few of us. And, um, you know, I'm pulling hard and eventually kind of get dropped and I'm by myself on the bike. So it's like a small situation that's getting worse and worse. And I'm, you know, so in, in ITU style racing as in the Olympics also, it's eight laps of five kilometers. So we pass through the transition zone multiple times and there's a rule which is exists for good reason, for safety reasons, because we also run on the same course that says if you get lapped by at any point, basically on the bike or, or first run or last bike or scenario, they take you out of the race. And this had never happened to me. And I'm on like lap seven and all of a sudden I see a TV camera just come and zipping along the side next to me. And I'm like, oh, that is not for like the third to last place person, you know? <laughs> and I like, all of a sudden I look behind me and I see like, you know, the whole front pack with like, um, you know, Nicholas Beery, all the, all the leaders just chasing down. And I'm just like, oh, this feeling of like, oh my God, oh my God, why here? Like, oh my God, this is happening. You know, like you've dreamed of going to the Olympics and have tried in three different sports and, and this is happening, you know? And the, an official on a motorbike comes up next to me and he's like, you need to stop, you need to stop here right now. And, um, you know, he's like, you need like neutralize basically. So put yourself kind of to the side, let the group go by. And then he's like, give me your timing chip. And, you know, I'm not far from transition at this point. So this is lined with people. And he's like, just wait here. Another official is going to come and get you. And they're going to bring you back to the athlete's lounge. And at that point, I'm just like overcome with emotion, you know, just like, whoo, like, I can't believe that this is happening here. Like, why? Of all places, I've never been lapped in my whole career. And it's happening on the biggest stage in the world when you want to represent your country like as best as you can. And um, yeah, at that point, I just kind of put my head in my hands and I'm just like, I can't really help it. I just start crying. I'm, you know, the tears are just like, and I just sit, kind of sit down against the barrier and I just am like, oh my gosh. And there's so much disappointment, but also kind of just a little bit embarrassed 
um, to just really not show your best self. And um, so, so far below my expectations. And at the same time, there's, you know, just in that moment, the entire crowd, like the whole, everybody that's lining the fence starts to applaud. And they just are clapping and they're cheering for me. And they're like, you know what? Like you're on the other side of the fence. Like, yeah, I think obviously it's not a gold medal performance, but it was like one of the most intense um, paradoxes of emotions that I've ever felt in my sporting career because you have this really deep disappointment on the one hand that like all of this work and this buildup and anticipation has completely not gone the way that you know that you're capable of doing and on the other hand this recognition of like yeah you just you're you're you did the best you could today and that's what it was and you know in that moment it was also very much like that that recognition and that applause like it's you know it seems stupid now because it's like yeah okay it could be anything but that was also very much a reason for me to come back and be like i i'm going to do this better four years later so in this moment of of just deep sadness and shock and disappointment and embarrassment and these things that you mentioned and you've got all this emotion you get this outpouring of love right everyone saying like you are good enough (laughs) right like right feeling probably so un like un what am i what am i even doing here (laughs) and and everyone and i love that that's that's the human spirit, right? That's compassion. That's like your suffering is my suffering. Like mm-hmm. people just without a plan, totally naturally coming together to help pick up a sister. Right, right. And you know, the, the interesting thing, and this is, this is also what makes the Olympic Games kind of a special, a special event in my opinion is like, so the next day after the Olympics, um, my coach, you know, basically fires me and is like, that was a really abysmal performance. Um, can't really be associated. The applause stops. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, reality hits. Okay. And it's like, uh, you know, and, and there's the world champs in Cozumel um, three weeks later. And, you know, well, it's the grand final, really. It's, it's the kind of the culminating event of the world triathlon series. And it happens again. I get lapped out again. And I'm just like, have this you know, awful swim and I'm just like fighting to stay in it in the bike and I'm just like, oh, this season needs to be, <laughs> be finished. <done> with. <laughs> 2016 is over. I'm empty emotionally, physically, you know, I just was like, I'm drained. But, you know, there was nobody there to applaud me um, getting lapped out in grand final, which is also normal. It was also at a part of the course where there was like nobody. But regardless that that, that was something that was special at the games that there is something there's a different spirit there there's a different um vibe and atmosphere and it's um yeah it's just something really unique and to share that also with like 10,000 other athletes from all over the world is is really yeah it just it's it's something else and it's it's part of the motivation to go back and it's i think it's great it's at the Olympics, it's greater than the sport, right? We're bringing the world together, all mm-hmm. the communities, all the people, mm-hmm. all their passions and mm-hmm. all the effort, the, the yeah. grinding, <laughs> all of that, the wake-ups at 4 a.m., like everything. Mm-hmm. 
And the Olympics just bring everyone together for a higher purpose, right? Right. And the sport is the celebration. Mm-hmm. The, but in Cozumel, which is, <laughs> which is a celebration for the ITU right. circuit, right? Right. The, the championships, like to go there by yourself. What was it? What was it like in the three weeks between the Olympics and Cozumel? Was it? Were you back into training? Was it just status quo? Like, well, I mean, where was your mindset? You know, like that I said, time? I. I didn't have um, a coach anymore, but I also was like, I also have enough experience to be able to handle these three weeks and just like, basically just don't overtrain. Don't be so mad that you're going to like, <laughs> just go out and like do anything crazy. So it was just kind of a question of, yeah, just just maintaining and and um, just getting some basic training in and, and um, trying to keep keep the focus there as much as you could. But yeah, there's there's like kind of a realization um, when it's something when the Olympic Games is also something like a, a kind of an experience and something that I had dreamed about since I was, you know, pretty young. It was like there's a lot of like <sighs> a, a lot of emotions when you like get step off the plane and you come back and you're like home and you're like, oh, life goes on life was on you know yeah but that also i will say that like having had that experience i think will help me in the next one you know hoping (laughs) assuming i qualify or hoping i qualify but when uh, you qualify yeah when When i qualify qualify. (laughs) we only talk about when here (laughs) but um you know it's it's uh that that kind of realization it's like yeah it's a goal it gives you direction it gives you purpose but it's not it's not the end of the world you know like the world keeps spinning the next day and that that um that really alleviates some of the pressure i think and has helped me also in in just the normal racing season not everybody is able to adopt that perspective that you know i in in when we were talking with eric Lagerstrom, who you went to high school with, we just found that out. Um, we, we we swam together. We were in the same oh, on the same swim team. You didn't go to the same high school. No, not to the same. Oh, high so school. you didn't go yeah, to prom. Sorry. We did go to prom together, actually. But... <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, did you? Yeah, like did. together as it is. Yeah, we did. It's <laughs> yeah. awesome. But it wasn't. I don't think it was even his high school or my high school. It was like a common friend. You were just, you were like, let's go to prom. (laughs) We're going to go to prom and nobody's going to know about it until like many years later on this podcast. (laughs) And we're just going to go to this other school's prom. Yep. Perfect. That was the plan. So, um, yeah, when we were talking with Eric, uh, you know, we dove right into, I think, with our conversation with him, because I started talking about, you know, he had made a video. This Mm -hmm. is like my first, um, you know, really started following him was he had made a video the day after he didn't qualify for the Olympics. And we started yeah. talking about like, he's like, you know, I've I've seen my friends and my teammates, you know, coming off the Olympics and mm-hmm. it can be a hard, hard crash. Mm-hmm. So here you are coming off of, off of the Olympics. Your coach is like, see you later. But you still motivate yourself to train to go to the grand final. Like, where were you getting that fuel? I mean, there was, there'd be a lot of people who would just get into bed and pull the covers up and say, hey, I'm done. You know, there's, there's a, 
there's a lot of things, and this is actually something that our, our swim coach said to us a lot, and it's kind of like a motto of mine, but it's a quote from Charles Swindle, and the end of the quote basically just says that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And I've like, yeah, I mean, there's the, that's true in any situation, and there's, um, you know, I, I don't hold any any grudge towards, you know, that coach also in the sense that like you know it was very taxing for him as well and and that is what it is but but I had a choice of of what I was going to do afterwards and um I think recognizing that yeah that that's that's on me and that I will always have that but if I lose grasp of like who's in charge of making those choices and I just put it on external factors, then yeah, then, then you, it's easier to do it every time, you know? It's like, if you start to say, oh, well, yeah, that's the fault of so-and-so or my coworker or this or yeah, I had a problem here or this or that, then it's like, okay, but then the next time you have a problem, you're again going to use that little escape route. And so I try not to make it a habit to use the escape route and to just trust in myself. That is the essence of what we really, really talk about in our yoga classes and mindfulness is you absolutely have the power to choose. Mm -hmm. You have that space. Mm -hmm. right? We talk about this gap, this space where you can be on your autopilot mm -hmm. and, and just fall upon, you know, right. put the blame on somebody else continually. Or you just take the ownership, right? right? And you yeah. accept it and you're like, okay, this is what it is. Again, to the 10%, like this is mm -hmm. what happened to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose. I'm going to get in that space and choose what my next step is. Right. It's it's super easy. It's mm -hmm. so easy to just get yeah. on autopilot and fall back into the same yeah. patterns. Yeah. But the real work, it's not done in the training. It's not done mm -hmm. in yeah. in the physical, right? It's done yeah. in that choice. Like yeah. you had a choice. And mm -hmm. so where do, you, that's, where do you think that comes from? Have you always been like that? Have you always been able to have that that clarity of yeah I can choose this or is there something that happened in your life that maybe fast track that thought process that's a difficult question I don't know if there's any specific um, you know event or experience that really um, triggered that I, I would say that my parents have also always uh, you know I have two sisters and all, we're all very, very different, um, but we are all um, independent and taught that, you know, to take ownership, I think. And, um, you know, for the for the kind of short story, when I was about 11 or 12, I was helping my mom clean out the garage and I found an old newspaper clipping. And it was like a photo of her swimming and it was, you know, she was swimming breaststroke, but it was like you no know, goggles at that time and like, um, you know, heads above water because it was illegal to go underwater at that time. And I was like, Mom, where is this from? And she was like, oh, it's from the 1976 Olympic Games. And I was like, oh, you were an Olympian? And she was like, yeah, I competed in the 200 breaststroke and 400 IM. And I was like, well, how come you never told me? And she was like, well, you never asked. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair enough. But um, I think that the the powerful thing in that was like, well, that was also the moment where I was like, well, shoot, if my mom can go to the Olympics, I want to try, you know, because it was like, it wasn't superheroes on TV. It was like my mom who works and cooks and helps clean and takes care of us and drives us to who knows how many after school activities. And um, so I think that that, that kind of 
you know, sport was something that I did since I was a little kid and, you know, along with the other activities, but it was never forced upon me. And it was the responsibility even from young was like, well, if you want to join a swim team, okay, fine, we'll join a swim team, you know, but it was never like, um, you have to do this, you know, it's like, and I think that the, what that did also was like motivation comes came from me versus coming from external factors telling me to do something and that was really important and I think that's also probably what helps now because you know when you're talking about choices there there was also you know I did the self-reflection after the games of like am I doing this out of habit am I doing triathlon because I don't know what else to do or because I like don't want to do something you know it was kind of like no, I want, I'm doing this because I want to do this and because I want to be here and because I believe I can be better and because I want to see, um, you know, to, to where I can push myself and to what level I can bring myself. And that was, I think, true back when I was, you know, running or back when I was swimming or the other sports I did as a kid. So, yeah. And, you know, some people are just, they just come into the world with it. You know, you came into the world, BJ, with certain things like this kind of never give up piece and you know I came in with certain things and but what you describe when you say you know I was I'm not upset with that coach right so Mm -hmm. there's forgiveness there and Mm -hmm. so like forgiveness is about the future it's not about the past it has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with the past it's are you going to be able to move forward or are you going to drag this heavy trailer of just crap that weighs you down right and you know, you, this ownership of choices. And I grew up in a a very similar way, like very much ownership of, of choices. And, you know, I was always told that I could do whatever I could do, whatever, and be whatever I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And I still believe that to this day. Mm -hmm. And when we can own our choices and I, I think it brings clarity to not having to look back you know, like when you're just really owning your choice and you're, right. you're reflecting and you're saying, why am I doing this? You know, questioning everything, not just doing things because you always do them. Mm-hmm. You, are, you, you move through the world in a very powerful way. When we point the finger, yeah. we become victims. Yeah. It's their fault. This happened to me at work. I yeah. have to stay in this job. My husband yeah. did this to me. My child did this to me. You know, what, whatever it may be, my wife did this to me. There's no power there. Mm-hmm. And with what you do and what you pursue, because there's so much unknown, like nothing on paper said that you were going to get lapped in Rio. And then again at the grand final, oh my God, talk about, there was some residue there. There was yeah. some, the universe was like, there's some unfinished business. We got to get this girl lapped out again. And then, uh, and then, but I think you're, I think you're prepping for a really good Tokyo, my personal um, vision that I see for you. Yeah, just this ownership of of what we do and the actions that we take and getting into that space and just the first step being how are we moving through the world? Are we questioning what we do? Mm-hmm. And when we start to question what we do, then I think we we get to ask the question like is what I do do I love it? Does it fill me up? Like mm-hmm. does it does it make me feel alive? Because you know, we 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 know that you know it's in an instant we can be pulled off of this earth mm-hmm. in an instant so why would we live anywhere else but right here right now and certainly not in the past having regrets you just move forward you pick yourself up and we were talking before we put the microphones on 
about like the unknown and and um you know what the life after triathlon and like should you be preparing for that now Mm -hmm. like your dad had sent you a article about you know life after triathlon which is super sweet my dad would do the same exact thing (laughs) and but it's like just living for this now moment and being the best that you can be and following your heart and um and where was i going with that Oh, I know. Um, you were saying I failed so many times, like, because we were saying, like, you know, what happens after triathlon? Just yeah, kind of having that conversation, entertaining that idea. And you were like, but I'll be fine. Like, you know mm-hmm. that you're going to be fine. Like, I mm-hmm. always know that no matter what. And, you know, no matter what shitstorm is raining down on me in my life, I always know that I'm going to be okay when I get to the other side of it. Mm-hmm. And you said that, you know, I failed so many times that, like, I know that I can pick myself up. Right. You know, you were, so you were steeplechaser. Mm-hmm. And did you did you go to London? No. So I ran for the University of Oregon, and I was chasing the international standard to qualify for London. And so after graduating, um, it was in 2011. I moved back to Belgium. Um, I didn't have now. I'm a dual citizen, but I didn't have U.S. citizenship at the time. So um was trying to to hit the standard for London and um yeah kind of again put aside a job offer to the dismay of my parents maybe <laughs> uh moved across the country and well across the, across the the world I guess across the pond and um just yeah just really went all in uh trying to hit this standard and uh at the first meet of the year ended up with a double stress fracture in both tibias and um you know i'd had a lot of injuries also in in, throughout like track and field and cross country and so i was kind of a little bit fed up with that and it was you know there was um no more i just thought you know injury maybe the body is just telling me it is not (laughs) just not track and field and so that's kind of when I started looking for work and I started working full-time but yeah I'll be honest that like when I got the diagnosis from the doctor and stuff it was like you just whatever maybe six months before the the games of London and it was like well that was my last chance you know (laughs) um no even even less it was three yeah three or four months before and um I just was like, you know what? We're gonna. I had a had a little pity party for about a week, and then, moved <laughs> and on. then I was like, all right, get my resumes in order and <laughs> start applying for jobs. And uh, yeah, that that was hard as well because there's there's a period of like adaptation between where you're. Yeah, you're looking for work. You don't necessarily get. Yeah, because you don't have that much real world or classic experience. Um, you know, for for a standard company. Um, and so you, you like just getting that first interview and you can get into that interview, then you can kind of explain like, this is my path. This is what I've been doing, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult for <laughs> you can get a couple rejection letters and you're like, all right, not getting any callbacks, not getting any interviews, but, but eventually it comes through, you know, and you just keep, you just keep choosing every day to to keep to find something <laughs> right like you always you're always we're always going to get on the other side it's just te- whatever that next step is right. maybe that next step is just like right. i just need a breath yeah but 
these are now experiences that you can pull from. And this is what you're saying earlier. Like, you know, when I left running and then I got a job and then you left that job to now pursue Mm -hmm. triathlon, Mm -hmm. which to go back to Eric Lagerstrom, this is not the Eric Lagerstrom podcast, (laughs) but he had told you about triathlon when you were running. He was Mm -hmm. saying like, and so that was... That was, How, that was oh, like... We were in high school, so I was maybe like 18 yeah. or so, 17, 18, something so like that. So the seed had already been planted there, but it, mm-hmm. it was you started triathlon when you were 24. Well, I think, yeah, since I ran through college and, um, you know, it was a college scholarship also that was uh, attractive for that as well. And um, to be honest, I was like, I did swim team from whatever, 12 to 18, but I was never a very good swimmer. So uh, I was also like, I I really, I, I put a lot of hours in and a lot of effort into swimming and just never, just didn't progress. And I would run like once or twice a week and be winning these like races and state championships. And I was just like, well, that's not fair. I'm not putting as much effort into this, but it was clear that there was like, yeah, so that's kind of what led me towards college running. And, um, but then in the end, it's, it's turned out that it's the combination that's, that was really been been my niche. And, um, I maybe regret not swimming as much through college. So having that like five year break, but you know, yeah, Eric had, Eric had talked to me before and uh, about, the squad he'd kind of joined the triathlon squad in its really early early years in its inception with Paulo and um so he had mentioned it to me and after Rio um you know that squad environment that group environment was something I knew I wanted I needed I was training a lot alone before and it's not really for me or my personality and I think I benefit a lot also from training with others and um feed a lot off of their experience and their energy and so um yeah, I just uh, had been in contact with a couple different groups and been in touch with Paulo. He was like, come down, visit. Um, we were in pa- based in Poway at the time. So um, cut my vacation a few days short and <laughs> came to Poway and visit. And he talked to me a lot about, about commitment and he talked a lot about kind of creating an environment. And I was like, I didn't tell him this the first time, but I was like, yeah, this is the place for me, you know? And uh, still, like, went home, thought about it a little bit, tried to get my fiancé on board as well. And, you know, fortunately, he was super supportive of it. He was just like, yeah, Claire, you can be, like, you got, you got to pursue this, you know? And um, which, was, which was huge also, uh, huge in terms of support. And um, so joined the squad in December of 2016, and it's been going really well overall. Yeah. So how have things, how have things progressed? Like when you got here, did he throw you into a sport to like immerse you? Did like, obviously he was evaluating when you, you and you were down here and seeing Mm -hmm. what, you know, where your opportunities for growth were and things like that. So how did that shake down when you arrived? Um, I mean, I don't think Paulo did too much explaining, really, and he just kind of lets you learn by just, doing by just doing yeah. and and um, That's so let so, you have your own experience, right? Each one so of you good. have your own experience, right? right. Yeah, and uh, I think he's he's actually quite perceptive. It, it can seem sometimes um, like frustrating at times because he's not going to give you necessarily sympathy, 
um, you know, when you're like struggling through something, he'll, he'll just like let you struggle. And right. <laughs> which is every, but that's gross. every great teacher mm-hmm. is going to let you str- struggle. Yeah. Like right. every solid relationship is going to let like both BJ and I have let each other struggle, like been in the suffering. Mm-hmm. And that is a great teacher mm-hmm. to allow you to just suffer and not save you. Yeah. Because yeah. you, that's going to, it's going to build, um, you're going to up level. You're going right. to grow from it. You know, yeah. you're either going to grow from it or you're going to be like, I'm going I'm back to yeah. Belgium and yeah. I'm going to get a full-time job and I'm done. <laughs> but you had that connection when you met, you had that, you felt like you, when you, when you saw the vibe, you were like, this is, well, I think I just, me. I, I, um, I also came from a program where I was mostly alone and, and, um, training a lot on my own and like I had a, like a, um, you know, a a training schedule for like the whole week. And it was kind of up to me to set up my day and take care of all the logistics. And I spent a lot of time also, but there's a lot of like different experts and stuff involved. And it was like going to go see the strength coach and going to go see the swim specialist. And and it was like, I just wanted a really simplified version. And that was, that was the impression I got from Paulo and the way he ran his squad. And when I came here, it was like, you know, coming from a point also where it was like pretty low in my career. So I was just very open. And I think, you know, it's like what I was we were joking about earlier. It was like, if, he, if I came here and he told me, uh, yeah, you know, you need to swim with one arm for like the whole first month. Uh, turns out that was more of like double pull buoy, but, um, you know, if he had, and I would have been like, okay, yeah, yeah, like this is gonna, this is gonna help. Um, so there was, I think a lot of trust in that. And I think a lot in, uh, you know, just when you, when you create an environment around you, um, or you let some, you know, I think I had given a lot of trust into him also to create the environment that was working and, when you trust that environment, it's like so much easier for the day to day, you know, because it's like you don't have to deal with all these extraneous factors or like, oh, how am I going to do this? Or how am I gonna... it's like, no, he just like you get your email at, you know, 6 p.m. at night says be at the pool at eight, bike at 11, run at four. And you don't know what the contents are going to be. You just need to show up ready. So awesome. And it's like, it, yeah, that's. That's kind of true for life. Yeah, it, it removes the element. Show up ready. <laughs> yes. It, it, it removes the element of going and worrying about what the workout's right. going to be. Right. Or saving yourself, knowing like, okay, Friday's workout's really tough. Mm-hmm. So Thursday's work, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go in and just do it yeah. and be okay. Because I know Friday's the tough. Right. It doesn't matter. No. You just go and no. show up and, and here's what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Because it's all part of a bigger plan. Yeah. Right. And so all that energy that you spend putting out there right could be better spent with the presence and focus in that session mm-hmm. in that swim session in the bike session in the run session mm-hmm. all of your focus all of your awareness mm-hmm. goes right into that yeah. all of your faith goes into this this program mm-hmm. and that's that's what i believe too as a coach like going too far out i can't i can't say how you're going to feel right on tomorrow i can't say how you're gonna feel on sunday yeah so when you get these plans if you have like a month plan Mm -hmm. or even a week plan how am i gonna know what you're gonna feel like what if you feel great and you've got a day off what if you feel amazing and it says day off yeah well like let's capitalize on this Mm -hmm. and so that's that's the presence and and focus and it sounds like you're all in for that like you just show up this is the workout that needs to get done like today you guys had what eight by two minute Mm -hmm. hills like yeah 
maybe you didn't want to do it maybe you did but it was like you just showed up and you did it right Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i love that well i think there's also like you have to be honest with yourself in terms of like what your personality is and something that i noticed well that i know about myself is like i tend to overthink things you know and get bogged like i can get bogged down very like analytical in that way and so like um I'm also very much a doer. I like to kind of like lead things and organize things, but it's like that costs a lot of energy as well. And so I really wanted to hand over the reins and I was like, here you go. (laughs) You know, like just, just being able, like, I think that was also one of the things that has helped improve my performance is just, um, my general training environment is a lot less stressful and costs me a lot less mental energy than it used to. And, um, and then the other half of that is also like when you show up at a training session and there's like, you know, five, six, eight other girls that can push you on those, yeah, 10 by two minute hill repeats, like it's way more motivating. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you've got, you've got kind of the, the leader and person who's orchestrating it all and then you've got also these amazing squad mates from all over the world really and everybody's kind of in this ITU system for traveling the same circuit pursuing the same type of goals and um, really striving to be some of the world's best and like that helps also because the lifestyle that we lead is a little bit peculiar I guess maybe peculiar or, or you know it's um yeah, we go to bed early and we take naps and um, we don't... Basically, you train, sleep, and eat. Yeah, yeah. we train, sleep, and eat. We don't do a whole, a whole <laughs> lot else. But like that's like the norm for everybody else that's around me. So it's very easy to do versus like, you know, every once in a while, um, you know, I go back to Belgium and, and my friends will be like, oh, like, let's meet up. And it's like, no, <laughs> <laughs> I love you, but no. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have this you're in this like social coma but if right. everybody's in the social coma then you've got community yeah and so yeah. what you did exactly. when you went to Palo so you were just stripped down right so life kind of brought you to your knees and getting brought to your knee like it's going to happen to all of us right mm-hmm. we're all playing this game of life and mm-hmm. I remember not too long ago maybe like uh, a year ago or so and I was crossing the 101 out here from the beach and I was just having a really heavy day like do we continue with yogi triathlete do we not continue like is it gonna come like can I pay the rent like mm-hmm. and I remember having this moment and thinking about how exhausting it was to keep thinking about this and I just looked up and I was like you know what I'm good I'm done I'm yeah. done trying to make something happen mm-hmm. so all the will that I have, I'm just handing it over to you, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like walking across the street just saying this. I'm like, I'm just handing it over to you. Mm-hmm. And I will do, I will go and I will do where whatever you ask and whatever hits my heart and wherever it leads me, I will go. Mm-hmm. And things started to shift mm-hmm. because I wasn't feeling like, oh, I had to do it all or I was overthinking it or, you know, mm-hmm. is it the right thing? And there is a time to question. There's a time to reflect mm-hmm. and question. But when you're, you know, you were at that place where you were like, all right, I'll just, I'll, I'll swim with one arm for a month. Like, <laughs> I, love that. I don't, <laughs> I don't care what it is. Like, I'm just ready to surrender. And yeah. I was ready to surrender. Mm-hmm. And when you can, you know, why are you with a coach anyway? You know, like you're with a coach because you trust them. You see that mm-hmm. they're, they're creating greatness through their athletes. So to start to get 
involved in it and it's like well what's the part like could you imagine being like paula what's the purpose of this why do we have to yeah. do 10 what's what's the purpose like, explain to me what muscles are actually being right used exactly like I... what's the benefit of this just do the workout right because all of that is just your mind wanting yeah it's just your mind wanting yeah and when we can stop when we can get like just surrender which is what you did which is what i did that day when we can surrender we release ourselves from this weight of having to become yeah just allow the process to unfold right. do the workout show up be yeah. ready like you yeah. said so you've been with him now for about a year and a half so mm-hmm. let's talk about your season this season cuz you've had some you've had some pretty good results this season um yeah. Yokohama, right? It was yeah. Yokohama. You got fifth. And yep. the thing that I love, you did a post after Yokohama, which was like the best. And I think BJ has actually referenced this with his athletes. And I've definitely referenced this with the athletes that I work with on their mindset training because mm-hmm. I get a lot of people who they overanalyze and, you mm-hmm. know, and they're just, their mind's going crazy. And what they don't realize is that, well, they probably do realize at this point that they're wasting a whole bunch of energy. Yeah. So I get this question a lot, like, so when exactly am I, you know, how long is it going to take for me to be mindful? Like, how long is it going to take for me to be able to be in the present moment and stay yeah. focused in the present moment yeah. for an Ironman? So you had done a post after Yokohama, you were like fifth place, like my highest ranking yet at a uh-huh. WTS race, right? Mm-hmm. It only took me four years to get from <laughs> sixth to fifth, right? There's so much, and that's reality, yeah. right? And, but there's so much patience in there. So right. like to get from sixth to fifth at your level is, is a, can take years. Yeah. Right? Right. So what have you learned about patience and perseverance? Because those two things go hand in hand. I think, you know, one of the particularities of triathlon is that, you know, it's, it's, the combination of three disciplines and in the ITU with it being draft legal, the race circumstances, um, you know, you can have improvement for instance in your bike, but if you've had a little bit worse swim, like, you know, it's, you're going to maybe be in a different pack and maybe your run is improving and your bike is improved, you know, but like maybe the bike was worse. So your legs were completely dead just to hang on on the bike. So there's a lot of different factors going on and, the biggest difference, for instance, between that sixth and that fifth was that I controlled the outcome of the fifth versus the sixth I was playing on the circumstances played to me. And that sixth place was, you know, very early in my career and I didn't have a very good swim chase pack like this third pack came to the second pack second pack came to the first pack it became basically a 10k run and i was like whoa this is the first time i'm in the lead like <laughs> this is back in 2014 i was like i like i ran i was in third until like the last 1k and then i just really ran out of steam and ended up six which was you know at that time was still very very good but it was like more out of the circumstances versus here what i'm learning is that like you know you you talked about like when will i be mindful or when will i be proficient it's like <laughs> no every single starting line i have to do repeat that every single time and to the best that i can to stay focused as much as i can on you know having the best swim possible basically doing a swim race 
I have to swim race, then I can do a bike race. And then after the bike race, I can do a run race. And really breaking it up into these like micro steps. And the reason why that requires patience and perseverance is because you're there are so many pieces and to put them together every time requires is really difficult. It's like a really hard jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. <laughs> but the problem is that like every or like a really hard what do you call this? A Rubik's cube? Right. But like every start line, somebody's mixed up the Rubik's cube again, you know? <laughs> so it's like, all right, and keep putting the pieces back together. But like the more you do a Rubik's cube, you know, the faster you are at putting the pieces back together. Like the better you are at it. But like you you still have to go through the energy and the process of putting the pieces together every single time. And that's, that's triathlon. Yeah. And even with the courses, even with the courses, right? Claire? right. Like every time you show up, you're at a different spot. Mm-hmm. When you start the swim, you're at a different number. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're going counterclockwise. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's two loops. Maybe there's one loop. Yeah. Maybe it's cloudy. Yeah, like there's yeah, no, rainy. the thing with triathlon, there's no set <laughs> right. one course and so that mm-hmm. makes you that makes you responsible to show up every day right every time you get to the race start line right like, all circumstances can be different mm-hmm. yeah also looking at your new Plymouth mm-hmm. you were third last year and third this year so World mm-hmm. Cup so explain just a little bit about so there's the ITU yeah and then there's the World Cup right which are the smaller races is it world cup well the so the itu the international triathlon union basically hosts like the highest level of the world triathlon series and then under that are world cups and then under that are what they call continental cups it could be european cup asian cup okay uh, american cup uh, so those are kind of the different levels some world cups can be they're kind of interspersed throughout the like the the world triathlon series circuit is usually like eight or nine races and the World Cups are kind of mixed in there throughout the season. And um, yeah, but that was a good podium for me. Twice a podium there. I've, um, I've had a couple of World Cup podiums, but I've yet to win one. So Yet. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Hamburg, I think you had like the fifth or sixth fastest run. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good run there, yeah. but I did have a poor swim. So I mixed up the <laughs> wrong part of the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> so, and is run something you're working on? Because I feel like, or is that something? Well, you actually yeah. have the background in running, but it just seems like you're you're in the mix every, like you can see, I see you coming up on the yeah. run in these races. The, I mean, you're working on all three disciplines all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah, there's no doubt about it that like, um, you know, we put a little bit more accent, for instance, on my swim or, you know, even like my bike technique, mostly like my cornering and thing and um, kind of just like bike skills. Fear from like early on, I had a lot of crashes like in, in the very beginning as when I was first starting triathlon. And um, that just kind of left me a little bit spooked about like <laughs> being in a pack. Packs, but yeah. um, one of the one of my favorite Paulo quotes and. <laughs> He was just like, uh, he said, you know, Claire, this is just before the European champs. And I really was like, I really want to go for a podium on this one. I was like, I sent a message. I'm like, Paulo, I really want to win one. <laughs> he was like, yes, Claire, that's our business. That's our core business. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, okay. And he's like, and he, you know, he's talking about being aggressive on the bike and like, <laughs> and um, he's just like, being brave, Claire, is not the absence of fear. It's being afraid and still getting the job done. So do your job. Yes, not being mm. paralyzed by you the know? fear. And it's like, I can 
talk about it as much as I want. Like, oh, I'm afraid I feel nervous on the bike or this or that. But it's like nobody nobody cares and i and i certainly like <laughs> i wish i mean you're still feeling it you're still like i'm going around a corner really fast and i'm like <gasps> right you're feeling <laughs> like, hang it, on it doesn't help to block <laughs> but, it out right blocking it out is just gonna it's hang just gonna on be... claire <laughs> yeah but it's like i got this like vision of like <laughs> right but you know we're gonna be like yelling it. that yes, now yeah. it's just like accepting it and using the emotion to to um so that it's functional. And that can be any emotion. It can be positive. It can be negative. If you come into a race also and you're super confident, it's also, you still have to harness that mm-hmm. in and, you know, use it um, appropriately. <laughs> but the same, same thing. If you're nervous, if you're scared, if you're, if you're feeling fearful, it's like um, just, you know, that's one of the things that he's like, be brave, you know? Yeah, because the bravery, and I, I use the word courage, which courage and bravery, I think, mm-hmm. are the same. Like, that it's it's being afraid, but you're not paralyzed. Mm-hmm. You're not paralyzed by that fear. Like, the fear can be present, or the anxiousness, or whatever it is, or even, you know, whatever it is, like, that would be categorized as something that could be negative. If you're just recognizing that it's there, but you're moving for like it's you're still moving forward. The bravery mm. and the courage are gonna allow you to move forward in that in a very strong way. But it gets it gets it becomes a weakness when you're moving from the fear. Right. When you're moving in the fear. Like yeah. when we're when we're in, in anything in life, if we're paying a bill and we're so fearful that oh my god this bill is so much and i'm running out of money we're moving from fear we're creating lack right Mm -hmm. if we're moving like oh my god look at all these girls and this is not i do not like this position i'm in on the pontoon oh my god and we're moving from fear what we're doing is we're creating we're creating lack in in the universe and we're saying like i don't i don't have what it takes because I'm in this position on the pontoon, mm-hmm. right? So what's that? That's victim, right? right? No right. power there. Mm-hmm. So the fear can zap the power or the fear can be there and then you can use the power through bravery and courage by mm-hmm. not being paralyzed or moving in that fear where you're just, right. you've lost yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just ran into our 10-year-old athlete down oh, Jenny. at the green, Jenny, and she, she's she been killing it, but she was afraid of heights and so she got on the diving board and I was just talking to her. She's got such a positive attitude. And she said, uh, I was thinking, I haven't done this before, but I've done a triathlon. Like, I've done a triathlon, so <laughs> I can do this. And she said it was still scary. It was yeah. still scary. But she jumped off anyway. Yeah. And then she jumped off again. Mm-hmm. And then again. Mm-hmm. So all that was happening, she just didn't have that in her history, in mm-hmm. her file system. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. Yeah. But, but like you, it's just the opening like mm-hmm. you're open to feeling whatever it is, right? Not mm-hmm. blocking it out, feeling it, and then moving from that. Mm-hmm. Like don't let it dictate what you are, but it can drive you. It can drive you forward and just mm-hmm. never stop going forward. Right. And so she, yeah, she's she's rocking it. She's going to do her second triathlon in two weeks. So I know. She's, she's, she's amazing. amazing. All right. So let's look. What happened in Leeds? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like your boss. What, what, what uh, happened Claire, in Leeds? Claire, what happened in Leeds? Uh, so... <laughs> Right after Yokohama. <laughs> yeah, so you, yeah, come off of Yokohama, right? Four years to get to fifth place. And then you go to Leeds. What happened? I don't think I know this story. Oh, uh, well, that was just, um, uh, it got quite 
some quite bad um i don't know if it was food i don't know if it was food poisoning or what it was but i got pretty sick um the kind of the four or five days before the race and i really thought i was going to be okay though that i was like you know what you're recovering like you're still not feeling great but mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know i thought i was going to be able to still pull it out and um that was really also a combination of small small details that I, I messed up. Um, the swim was like not great, but a horrendous T1, and it's like kind of goes straight out of trans, like straight, a pretty big hill straight out of transition. And um, yeah, like I ended up just knocking knock my shoe off, just, just get off the yeah. bike, pick it up. You know, it was like just. Um, you weren't 100%. Well, I mean. Th- like that is one maybe one thing but I really thought like I, you know I, like I, I can still put this together um, but the, at this level um, you know we're, we're looking at the little one percent and and these kind of details are so unforgiving and so um, you know completely mess up T1 end up with a very small group who knows we were maybe the fourth group back and um I feel somebody like this is maybe two, two or three kilometers into the bike, and I feel somebody hit my back wheel, and I didn't go down, but everybody else went down behind me. So there was a massive crash pileup. Um, you know, we were maybe only like five of us, but you know, then all of a sudden we go from at least being able to work maybe with a few people together on the bike to me being completely alone, and uh, so it was just a really, really bad situation. Uh, that was compounded by by multiple small mistakes, and um, they're not small mistakes. You know that's also the difference between um, you, you know the consistent, the really consistent top level performances, performances that they're able to execute those small details every time. And that that's again a question of focus. It's a question of concentration. It's a question of um, ability. Um, and we just get back to work. Yeah, <laughs> and not overlooking it. Not, not like, dwell on it. Yeah. Yeah, not dwell on it. You just get back to work, but also always reminding like that was just your reminder, like not to overlook those little details. Yeah. Like you can't yeah. you right. can't at your level, you can't afford to do that. No. You no, can't no, afford no. to do no. that. And you know, when you when you look at like I remember watching um Jan Ferdino at the beginning of the Oceanside seventy point three just so meticulous mm-hmm. so focused right. you know pe- people are around him and they're like you know staring at him and everything but he's just so meticulous right. like like doing his checkpoints mm-hmm. and all those tiny little details you know checking the screws that woman who just won in hamburg Cassandra like, Beaugrand, yeah. Like her focus on the run i don't know if you've seen the replay yeah. of that mm-hmm. but it, she was just like looking down the whole time oh Cassandra? Her, yeah she had her eyes like just hovering, hovering, <laughs> hovering. She didn't waver. She never too looked much. back mm-hmm. once. Mm-hmm. She was really focused. It was mm-hmm. really a beautiful thing to to see. And then of course we we watched the next day with the mixed relay. And she was on the swim. She's like, oh my god, she swims beautifully too. Like she just <laughs> her arm right. was like. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, she can swim too. I know. Yeah, it was that was it was an interesting. It was really awesome to to watch that happen. Really, really cool for her to see that happen. So, you know, I said I thought you were having a good season. What do you think about this season? How are you um, feeling about where you are and 
where you're going? Well, there's there's um, there's still definitely been good progress, and um, but it's it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, you know. Uh, the first race in Abu Dhabi was also a bit special, like yeah. there were a lot of crashes. So there's a lot of <laughs> it was really difficult conditions, and um, New Plymouth was better to be on the podium, but you know, and then and Yokohama was went went pretty well. And, you know, the interesting thing also before Yokohama is, like, I felt like crap. Just felt like absolute garbage. <laughs> and that's, you know, again, one of those reminders is just, like, um, I was proud of that race also for, like, still getting the job done and kind of executing despite whatever, you know, however you're feeling. And mm-hmm. um, and you weren't running alone. You were running with some girls. Like, you earned that fifth place. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. And, um I think, you know, the Leeds was obviously dropping out of any race is, is always is very disappointing. But I, I think that would have just like kind of run me into the ground. Also, just like um, health was not there for that one. And, um, you know, here in Hamburg, it was like I could feel the, the bike felt good. The run felt good. Um, the two big problems there were, um, yeah, just a, a pretty poor swim. And um, it's also, again, about like awareness and and being sure that you're always on feet <laughs> as much mm-hmm. as possible and and you know kind of seeing those key moments to get around get around buoys and then um i really messed up my second transition as well and that's probably why i ran so fast is <laughs> 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 like just like for once was into transition well and couldn't get my shoe on and like fumbling with my shoe you know and we we were on training camp in st Moritz. we must have done 30 transitions there you know and like never had a problem but like race day comes and you know and that's the thing is is still being able to get the job done in the moment when the pressure's on and everything like that and you know we were talking about a catastrophic t1 in in leads as well and i did it three times they were like you can do it three times so in the warm-up it was like got my shoes on jumped on my bike right away second time no problem third time no problem <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got this. I'm not going to overthink it. And then, of course, you do it in the race. And, <laughs> and then real time, not so good. Not so good. Yeah, I mean, anything but, can happen. Anything can yeah. happen in any moment. Yeah. Um, so what's next, Edmonton? So next will be Edmonton. And there's also a mixed team relay there. So that's exciting. And then um, I'll head back to Europe for the European Championships. And then... Um, we're still deciding on whether or not I will do the Montreal World Series. Uh, so that it's a little bit more travel than I'd like to do because the grand final is then in in September in Gold, Gold Coast. Coast. Yeah, nice. and mm. so that's a that's a big travel and um, the race calendar is already very full. But you got to leave time for training. <laughs> yeah. So to give people an idea of like how much are you like when it's all said and done in 2018, how many races will you have under your belt? Um, counting mixed team relays. Count it all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Probably about a 20 or so. That's a lot of That's racing. A lot. to 20. Yeah. High intensity yeah. racing. It's like yeah. hit, hits racing. P- plus travel. So these aren't just yeah. in your home country. Like you're traveling a, a, yeah. around the globe. In 18 different countries right. or so. <laughs> yeah. That's so amazing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the especially some of the longer travel in the beginning, you know, like going to Abu Dhabi and then coming back to California, then to New Zealand and back to California. And then... Um, yeah, that's it's it's a lot of traveling, but it's also it's uh, I don't make the calendar, I just follow it. Yeah, exactly. So. You right. don't need don't overthink it. Just show up when they yeah. you're going to be in Abu Dhabi on this yeah. date and 
So as somebody who travels around the world and uh, how do you navigate the food situation? Like you're in different countries and, you know, mm -hmm. how are you able to get, so how are you navigating like the, the pre-race meals and things like that? Are you, are you, you have this one thing that you need to eat before a race mm -hmm. and what are you using when you're racing or do you even use anything when you race? In terms of the food around the world, uh, I would just say it's like, um, for the most part, you can kind of find what you're looking for in most places. If I can get to somewhere where I have a kitchen or a homestay, that's ideal because you usually have just access to a lot more things, whereas you have a lot less control if you're at a restaurant all the mm -hmm. time. So I try to avoid that. And then I usually tr like pre-race meal, you know, bananas, oats, things, things like that. I, I travel with usually myself. So there's always like kind of basic staples that I'm, and I'm going to keep with me, but most of that stuff I can also find kind of all over the place. And yeah, I just have irritable bowel syndrome. So it's, I just need to be a little bit careful about what I eat. And so I follow um, what they call the FODMAP diet, which is an acronym for fermentables, aglio, mono, uh, dye monosaccharides and polyols which basically um just limits me in terms of like i kind of i'm on the low anything with o's so low lactose low glucose um low fructose actually um low gluten those are the kind of things that i try to avoid so i do a lot of rice i do a lot of very just like simple foods a lot of sweet potatoes and i kind of learned what what works and what doesn't work over and i think that's very personal but for the most part, I don't really follow any kind of... I just have like three basic guidelines, basically. <laughs> so the first is eat a rainbow every day. And so I just... Mother Nature is really good at putting a lot of vitamins and minerals in all of our food. And we don't need to know why a cherry tomato is red. Um, but as long as you're getting all your colors, then you're probably good. And the second is with regards to protein intake I the fewer the legs the leaner the meat so I take something with no legs like beans eggs lentils um, over fish but I would take fish over maybe chicken and I would take chicken over something with four legs so <laughs> never heard that I like that I yeah. that yeah so um <laughs> and the third the third rule is also really simple but keeps things um keeps things in check and that's Everything is permitted, but everything in moderation. So if I want to have a little piece of, you know, dark Belgian chocolate, I'm going to let myself have a piece of dark Belgian chocolate. Yeah. Oh, we have some dark chocolate almonds. I'll have to pull some of those But, um, you know, it's like, just try not to eat the whole bar in one sitting. Um, right. So that's, that's it. It's just like, just a little bit of portion control, I guess. But um, that also, like, uh, I think sometimes you see people can... It can also be a lot of mental energy and draining thinking about that. And it's like, just keep it simple. <laughs> just keep it simple. Yeah, don't overthink it, right? Don't you know? overthink it. And like, um, you know, with, with regards to like, uh, you know, even the first rule about rainbows or whatever, it's just, 
you know, when I, if I say eat a rainbow every day, I'm not talking about M&Ms, you know, or Skittles. I'm talking about <laughs> I'm so glad you clarified a natural, that. <laughs> a natural rainbow that, um, yeah. For but, those that thought of Skittles, uh, yeah, but kids, wrong. kids say that a lot. You know, if or I go, Fruit Loops. To, yeah, if I go like talk to a school and they ask me like, oh, do you what do you eat? You know, and I tell them I eat a rainbow every day, and they're like, what do you eat that's blue? You know, <laughs> like blueberries, eggplant. You know, and they're like. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Didn't think about that. <laughs> Love it. So. Well, I just want to know, with all the working out you're doing, and a lot of our listeners are athletes and, and are in the grind, this is the summer season, mm-hmm. you look at your plan, you've got this workout to do, you're not feeling it. How do you approach a session when you're just, when the doubt creeps in and you're like, okay, I've got, let's just say, 10, two-minute hill repeats today like i'm mm-hmm. just my legs are toast mm-hmm. how do you approach that next session is it is it all or nothing like okay i need a rest day and, and i'm not going to do this is it i just want to start and get out on the bike and just see what happens or like like how do you process those situations i think a lot of athletes fall into one of those two categories i think they mm-hmm. would just would rather not do anything then do something. Mm-hmm. Others maybe just want to start with something. But what is your? How do you approach that when you're just you're you're in it mm-hmm. and you know you have to do this session? Well, I think there's there's two two things to distinguish here. And the first is um, I do this professionally, so I do this full time. And um, you know sometimes like barring injury or or anything like that aside not doing a session is like skipping a meeting at work (laughs) it's kind of like so um what i would say is you know if i'm really struggling with um or really tired there's there's first of all the distinction to make and that takes a little bit of honesty on yourself of like am i really tired and like do i risk putting myself into some kind of an injury or an illness and that's those are red flags that are like, okay, those need to be mentioned to a coach. Those need that maybe is going to lead more towards a day off. For the most part, get your foot out the door, and just like one little bit at a time. And you know, I was just yesterday actually, or yeah, I think just yesterday we had a really hard swim set, and I was really struggling. It was like probably one of the, a very you know one of the harder swim sets I'd done in a while, and some of the slowest like just. It was not coming together. So like these 200 meters hard got broken up into two by 100 in my head. And then it got broken up into 50s. And all of a sudden it was like, just get to the other side, you know. (laughs) And it's like 125 meter or, you know, 125 yard at a time. And um, yeah, sometimes you just got to do really, really small things. But usually um, if you break it up small enough, then you can do the whole or certainly, certainly a portion. Mm-hmm. certainly a portion and um just with a little you know just like i i think that 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 can be very overwhelming for a lot of people is like when you think like oh my gosh it's you know imagine if i was thinking i mean thinking about tokyo for instance gives me direction but it only gives me direction for what i'm doing today and i can't think about all of the swim trainings i'm going to have to do or all of the bike sessions or all of the run sessions between now and 2020 no it's little bit at a time and i think that that's just human also we're 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 better with small 
Well, it's, and it's the only thing, it's all, it's what we've got in front of us is what we've got. So when we get really overwhelmed when we're thinking about, oh my God, everything I'm going to have to do to get to this race or to Mm -hmm. get to the Olympics and it's unmanageable. It's unmanageable because it's based on a time that doesn't even exist. Mm -hmm. It's it's completely, how can you cope with that? Mm -hmm. Right? It's too much future and not enough presence. Mm -hmm. And so just hold the, hold the vision. God damn, hold that vision, girl. But just get back to whatever's right. at hand. Right. That's the paradox of it all, you know, right. is like, how do you couple that? Of course, it's fine to have goals, but those give you a direction so that you know which kind of road to take. Yeah. But and, then I, you and I think checking in with that road. direction mm-hmm. is, is something I'm discovering. It's just like, just start moving. Like this mm-hmm. whole week, there's like sessions I haven't wanted to get out the door. Mm-hmm. But once I get out and I'm three miles in and <laughs> Clark's up and I'm into a run, like all of a sudden it's like, okay. <laughs> You can do this. Whereas if I would have stopped, if I would have stopped and I had a swim set not too long ago where I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to do 3100s. Maybe I'll just do one. Maybe I won't do any. And then I did one. And then I did a second one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to wait till I break the, and I'm not going to hit the time. Yeah. And if I had listened to my thoughts the night previous, mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever do that swim set. Mm-hmm. But what happened was I just kept coming, inching closer to that line and mm-hmm. never went over it, mm-hmm. right? So what you said, just show, just start, just get mm-hmm. out the door, like mm-hmm. get out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if you do whatever, just yeah. start. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge piece. Yeah. And just keep moving forward. It becomes a routine also, you know, there was like a, a girl on the, on the triathlon squad in Belgium who said, I, I'm really not motivated to run. I said, you know just practice tying your shoes <laughs> just like even if you don't leave just put on a run outfit and shoes and then see what happens like you're already more likely to go out the door and just just keep if you get home from work just put yourself in your run outfit <laughs> even if that. you just hang around the house <laughs> you I love know it. it's, that's, it's true it's something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like um you know we don't think about brushing our teeth because it's a habit but like we have to teach that to little kids and they don't like to do it at first, you know, but, um, yeah, getting out the door is also a habit that becomes easier and easier as the more often we do it. Right. And just like owning our choices and picking ourselves back up and moving forward, it all becomes easier. It's mm-hmm. that law of facilitation it just mm-hmm. gets easier and easier. It becomes our norm. You know, being brave can become your norm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely become mine. I think it's probably become yours as well. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. We're going to bust open some chocolate almonds. Woo! And uh, yeah, if you need to go to bed, you can take them for the road. All right. Cool. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. Seriously, I love this girl so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And if you're not tuning into Triathlon Live to catch these incredible WTS races, then you are missing out. It's like the previews to our next Olympics. It's the future of multi-sport and they are crazy exciting to watch. Thanks so much for tuning into today's show. Please check out the show notes for ways to connect with Claire and to get your orders in for your YT trucker hat. And don't miss the bonus recipe offer when you pre-order the High Vibe Pie e-cookbook. What athlete doesn't love pizza night? 
These creations are original. They are power packed and they are filled with love. I promise you, I cannot wait for this cookbook to drop in August. M21 Revolution enrollment is open at all times and we still have spots on our team. So under the guidance of Coach BJ, you will not only train your body, but you will train your mind. This is the missing piece in the majority of training plans out there. So Let's not leave the mind out of training. You guys, this is the single most important piece to becoming your highest and best in this life and as an athlete. And isn't that what you want? All right, we'll be back next week with the second part of our Ask the YTs from July. Thank you guys for all the questions and your support. We are in deep thanks of this community. We could not do this without you. I'm serious. We could not do this without you. So until then, move forward and be on high alert for the moments and mindsets that pull you back. Greatness is your divine right. The question is, are you willing and mentally equipped to let it in?